Welcome to Wellness Realness with Christina Rice. I'm your host, Christina. I'm a holistic health coach and the creator of ChristinaRiceWellness.com, where you can find my blog, services, programs, and current ebooks. You can also find me on my other podcast, Straight Up Paleo. In this podcast, I'll be discussing all things related to health and wellness, and I promise to always keep it very real. If you'd like to submit a question or topic for me to discuss, send it in to podcast at christinaricewellness.com. Don't forget to subscribe, leave a rating and a review on iTunes, and most importantly, enjoy the show. It feels like it has been such a long time since I did a solo Q&A episode, and it hasn't been that long, I guess, but... I'm back with one and I'm really excited because I just picked and announced the winners of the huge 100th episode giveaway and I can't stop smiling because the winners are so excited and I love seeing you guys excited and there were so many entries. I was so overwhelmed and excited about it. So if you entered, thank you so much. It means a lot to me that you participated and don't worry there will be more giveaways in the future that you can enter into as well if you didn't win this time so just to make it official I want to announce on here the winners names so you know there were winners the grand prize winner was Cassidy Deardroff her handle is Cassidy and Kale the other three winners were Alexa Bokar I'm not sure if I'm saying your last name right. I'm sorry. But Ali Bokar is her handle. Healthy, happy, and free. That's Megan Osborne and Ellen Reese from Eats Real Food. So congratulations to you four. You are the lucky four winners. I am going to email them with all the details, collect your prizes. And just again, thank you so much to everybody who entered. It was such an awesome giveaway. And I hope to do more in the future that are just as grand and fabulous. So I just got home yesterday from Dallas and it was a doozy of a day. My flight was supposed to take off at 2 and land at 3.30 LA time and it got delayed because of storms from wherever the plane was coming from and I ended up spending basically the whole day there and you only get 30 minutes of free Wi-Fi at the Dallas airport which meant I was without Wi-Fi and I was couldn't really do much, which probably was a blessing in disguise because it forced me to not do work, which was nice. But I ended up not getting back to my apartment until 8 p.m. last night, and I'm still adjusting to the time change. And then I got a haircut today, and I'm back to my blonde lob. Thank God. I feel like myself again. I've been trying to get a haircut and dye my hair for the past probably four months and I just haven't been able to get in and I had to make it happen before my birthday which is on Friday which when you're listening to this will have been the week before but I just really wanted my blonde my blonde back so feeling good feeling like myself my hair has not been this clean in about about six months probably and it's you know when it's so clean that it just doesn't even do anything because it slides around because it's so clean. My hair is not usually like that. So this is this is new for me. <laughs> I had a great 
time in Dallas. I was there with my straight up paleo co-host Kara and our intern Kelly. We got a lot of great work done. We have some exciting things in the works for listeners. So stay tuned for that. That's on the other podcast. Blah, blah, blah. We ate a lot of delicious food. Kelly and Kara are both amazing chefs. Kelly is going to culinary school. So she is real deal. And it was all I wanted. I told them I just wanted them to cook for me. That's their birthday present to me. And they cooked up a storm. We had this delicious cheeseburger pie that Kelly has created, a paleo cheeseburger pie that was basically cauliflower crust on the bottom, ground meat. We did beef and bison in the middle with this cashew cheese topping. It was amazing with caramelized onions on top. I can't even tell you. So very excited. And then This weekend, I am going to my friend Devin Sisson's house for dinner on Friday. She's cooking for me and a few friends. If you haven't listened to my episode with Devin yet, you should check that one out. She is amazing and she is a phenomenal chef. I am so excited to eat the food. She's making this really fancy dish. She'll have to. I'm sure it'll be posted on my social media somewhere. And then... Saturday, getting facial, massage, nails done, beach walk, lots of things. My friend Kaylee from Kaylee Christina is going to be staying with me this weekend. If you haven't listened to my podcast episode with her yet, search Kaylee Clark on the podcast and listen to that episode. She's awesome too. And then Saturday, having a bunch of friends go out to dinner with me at Wild Living Foods. If you don't know Wild Living Foods, it's my favorite official restaurant in Los Angeles. It's downtown. It's raw vegan food and it's phenomenal. It's so good. They have this thing that's like a burrito made with a coconut wrap and so much sauce. It's amazing. And they have a whole section of kelp noodle dishes, warm kelp noodle dishes and some sushi, vegan sushi. It's delicious. I highly recommend if you are in Los Angeles, check that out. So that's just a little update on my life. So in case you were wondering, but my most exciting announcement before I hop into questions and answers is that today when this comes out, it will be April 9th, which means the signups are open for my paleo women lifestyle program. If you are a woman who has truly any health goals you want to reach, if you have just an interest in health and wellness, I highly recommend looking into and joining this program. It is so much fun and I'm going to explain how it all works right now. So basically you sign up and I will pace you through the five weeks of the five modules that are the official course content. So You are going to receive each week weekly PDFs, video lectures from me, audio lectures from me, and that is going to cover everything you need to know regarding the topic for that module. So we talk about just overall what the benefits of a whole foods diet are, why health and nutrition is different for women and why we should approach it differently, all about the macronutrients, what they do, the best sources, building a balanced plate, what the right portions are, figuring that out for yourself, all of that. Then we move into cooking and grocery shopping hacks, which I love that module because everybody is so surprised at how much they learn in there because people come into this thinking, oh, you know, I've been eating 
a whole foods diet, I eat healthy all the time, and then they learn what some of these ingredients are. And I know that's a mind blowing one. We talk about all the top health mistakes women make and how to avoid them. One of my personal favorites. We talk about how to make paleo a lifestyle for the long run. So we're talking about exercise and we're talking about stress management and we're talking about sleeping and we're talking about getting sunlight and dealing with social situations, what to do when you're traveling, eating out, all of that, everything that goes into making it an overall lifestyle. And then we talk about balancing hormones. We go into depth about hormones because that one is very relevant to us as women. So those are the modules. In addition to this, I think the best parts of this program are the private Facebook group and the live video coaching calls with me, those those are my favorite part personally because we hop on these calls and they're at different times. I take polls to find out when the most people can hop on so everybody's bound to be able to get onto a call at some point and I always record them so you get the replays later. But we hop on to these video calls and we can all see each other and all talk to each other. It's a lot of fun. If you've ever been on one of my webinars, it's the same style. This is also how we all get to know each other and we just talk about whatever comes up with the group. So you can ask me questions live. I answer them live. I often go off on rants. We talk about things. Sometimes these calls run much longer than expected, but we're having a lot of fun. So it's a great time. And the private Facebook group, same idea. That's how we all communicate with each other, talk with each other, share articles, share links, share recipes, give each other tips. And it's also great for accountability. So we hold each other accountable. We've been working on our technology use and our sleep. Right now we have something going to hold each other accountable for our bedtimes, which is awesome. And I just love this so much because it's an amazing way for me to really get to know all the women and everybody gets to know each other and everybody becomes really great friends. And I just, I love it. It's a great way to find your tribe, find your community. This is something that I get asked about a lot is how do I meet like-minded people? Joining things like this are really phenomenal. And, you know, throughout my health journey, I've joined a lot of different courses and programs similar to the one I'm running now. And the way I designed this was basically I took everything I didn't like about all the programs I've done before and paid so much money for. I got rid of all the things I didn't like. And then I took the bits and pieces of the programs that I loved and I just put it all into my program. And I really believe that all the information you learn from this is just pretty much everything you need to know to live a healthy lifestyle. And you basically have constant coaching for me forever. Because once you're in the program, in the group, you have access to everything forever. You get to go on live calls with me forever as long as you're in the group. So as new groups run for years to come, you can hop on whenever you want, look back at the materials whenever you want. You get access to everything new I add whenever you want. So I think it's a really amazing deal and a great option if you don't know if you want to do one-on-one coaching. You can get in this group context. You learn a lot, a lot. So this is for anyone and everyone. There are women in this program who are just eating a standard American diet or brand new to a health journey or just getting started. And that's amazing. I will teach you everything you need to know and you'll get support from everybody else as well. There are also women in this program who have been eating a paleo diet for years and, you know, they're really into health and nutrition and they are smarties about all of this, but they definitely have learned a lot from this. So 
whether or not you just have a specific health goal or you are just looking to learn more, I highly, highly recommend this. I think that whenever you're looking for programs like these, even if you don't want to join mine, but in general, I definitely recommend looking for something that has the group component and this the live coaching calls, I think this is the most important part because you get to know people in the group and you hold each other accountable versus sometimes when you're just taking a course with just information, there's no real accountability factor. And with the live calls and the group, it's a great way for me to be constantly updating people on new information. So it's always getting updated. I know some people just record videos and put them out there and then it gets outdated this is always going to be updated. So I'm really excited about this. It's going to start April 16th. So signups are opening up today. I only let a certain number of women in it. And once I'm capped off, I'm going to close it. So if you're listening to this today, it comes out, it's going to be on sale for this first 24 hours. And then the price will bump back up to the normal price and signups will close on Friday the 13th. And we start on the 16th. So if you want to learn more and you want to sign up, you can go to my website, ChristinaRiceWellness.com under programs or go to bit.ly slash paleo women lifestyle. Feel free to email me if you have any questions. If you're wondering if this is right for you, I'm happy to clarify anything and everything. And I'm just so excited because I love bringing more women into the group and it's a lot, a lot of fun. It's basically just like video chatting with a bunch of your friends, including me, who are obsessed with health and nutrition. You nerd out and geek out and talk about literally everything from the physical part of health to the emotional and mental side. We talk about body image and we talk about weight and we talk about all the lies in the media, on social media, stuff we see on Instagram and everything in between. So this course is all encompassing. I just wanted to create the ultimate guide for you for living a healthy lifestyle, make this approachable and fun and create this awesome community. So I love my my ladies in the program. They know. And the testimonials are amazing. You can read some of them on the website, everything from cleared skin, getting rid of migraines, improved cognition, reaching a balanced weight, obviously improving digestion, better body image and relationship with yourself, less stress, balancing out their hormones. I love all of it. It's a lot of fun. So again, you can learn more information at bit.ly slash paleo women lifestyle. I would love to have you in this program. Everybody is welcome, although sorry it's for women only but any women you are welcome to join in it's gonna be a blast that's kind of all i have to say about that signups are open today so hop on that and snag your spot before it closes and the links will be in the show notes as well so now i'll just hop into the the questions and answers which is almost similar to the the program except in the program, you get to talk back to me. You can respond to things I say. So this is a little different, but love these. Love these Q&As. Thank you if you sent in questions. Got a lot of good ones. And I pulled in the Facebook group, Wellness Realness Podcast Tribe, and a lot of you said that you would prefer shorter answers, more questions. So we'll see how succinct I can be. You know me. I like to go in depth. So I'll work on this 
we'll try it. So I'm just going to try and go as, not as quickly as I can, but you know what I mean. We'll see how this goes. So starting now, first, I'm going to start with this question from the Facebook group. So she said, it's not really a question, but I would love a report on your vegan vegetarian day thing. I know you've touched on it on the straight up paleo episode, but I would really appreciate a more detailed talk because I'm very curious, like details on how your meals looked, how you noticed your energy and hunger levels are, potential health benefits, specific reasons you decided to do it, etc. For me, I see often when I happen to not incorporate animal proteins, my satiety is really hard to get and I find myself snacking much more and being more hungry in general. What did you notice for yourself? Okay. I'm really glad that you asked this because I realized I've forgotten to, I guess, update people. I don't know if people are curious about this. So if you don't listen to my other podcast, my co-host Kara and I decided to do a little experiment for a bit where twice a week we were doing full vegan days, so paleo vegan days. And it was just for fun, just to see, you know, what it was like, how it made us feel, and a good learning experience you know now I understand more for my my vegan clients what it's like when they're eating paleo and it's interesting because in the paleo keto space specifically there has been this whole movement amongst some people towards eating vegan or vegetarian and also paleo and keto which just feels like a lot mashed together but I think it's very interesting because that can be really hard a lot of the foods that vegans consume are higher in carbohydrates and you know vegan diets contain less protein than not vegan diets and many of the vegan sources of protein also are higher in carbohydrates. So it was really interesting to me that so many people are kind of pushing this keto vegan mashup. And to me, it seems pretty hard. And I wanted to try it myself because I eat a high fat, low carb diet and also paleo. And I wanted to just see how it would go just as an experiment. So these were basically my results. So we did it for a few weeks. I did it for longer than Kara. I learned a, a lot, I guess, about, well, see, this is the thing. I actually do eat vegan when I eat out oftentimes, just because most of the restaurants here in LA are vegan. And it's pretty easy to eat vegan, paleo, high fat, low carb out. But when I'm making meals for myself, just because I'm not used to that, I wasn't used to sort of how I would build my plate. What I basically did for my meals were a ton of veggies, a ton of non-starchy veggies, because at the time I wasn't really incorporating starches into my diet. I just started now slowly reincorporating them after I've been very low carb for a long time. But a lot of just veggies with a ton of nut butter or, you know, something like tahini, avocados, nuts, and seeds. And that was basically what it was. Veggies, nuts, and seeds, nut butters, seed butters, nutritional yeast. And 
there is no way I would be able to do this every day. On those days, I did feel very limited in my meals. My lunch and dinner were very similar. It was just different vegetables and a different different seed butter. But breakfast, I would usually just do some kind of smoothie. And I mean, I eat a lot of fat. People, I don't think realize how much fat I eat because the, the fat I eat is invisible. I mean, when you see a picture of my meal, you don't know how much I'm putting on things or how much I'm cooking things in. Um, and I also don't show everything I eat because sometimes I eat without telling the world about it. But anyways, it got repetitive. And so there's definitely no way I could do it every day. I also what I learned was I had to just put even more fat on my meals to satiate myself. And I was also much weaker on those days. So those were definitely days I wasn't working out. I knew I would not be able to do it on days when I was working out. And interesting enough, it really helped my digestion, which for me makes sense because what helps my digestion is a shit ton of vegetables and being high fat helps my digestion as well. So a lot of people don't realize this, but I mean, if you know my whole story, I had I had a lifelong history of chronic constipation and what took me over 20 years to figure out was that I needed a very high fat diet to keep myself regular. And a lot of people need this as well. A lot of people need to increase their fats to address their bowels and keep things moving along. So the combination of eating a lot of vegetables with a ton of fat, I mean, it made, it really, really helped my digestion, you know, move through me. So that was interesting, but yeah, I was definitely weaker. I had to eat a lot more food than I usually do. And I usually eat a lot of food to begin with. So I was just eating a ton of food. I honestly really enjoyed it. I loved my vegan days just because I love a reason to eat a ton of tahini and avocado. Like I love high fat foods and nut butters, but it definitely didn't leave me feeling as satiated as I do with my animal protein. And I know that. So when you eat a high fat, I mean, fat and protein are extremely satiating and they provide a different feeling of satiety in my opinion. And I think for many other people. So it's kind of hard to articulate, but for me at least, protein gives me this sense of fullness that's kind of like my stomach is filled with something solid and heavier and just kind of more obviously full and quicker versus fat gives me this feeling of satiety that's more, it's it's slower to come on, I suppose, and it's not really like there's something full in my stomach like something full in there. It's more of just like, I know that that was enough food, but you don't necessarily feel, feel it in your stomach, I guess. That might be a really poor way of describing it, but I, I definitely think that it also made me want to increase my protein on the days following it. And it was harder on my digestion in the long term because anytime you make a macronutrient change you have to give your body some time to adjust digestively to that macronutrient change so flipping off for me between 
vegan days and days where I ate meat. It, you know, it kind of messed up my digestion those following days and it took some time to for my body to readjust and that was kind of just like a lot for my body to go back and forth and I know a lot of people notice this. So anytime you make any type of diet change, whether you are switching your macronutrients or just switching over the types of foods you consume, it's really common to sort of go through a period of having constipation or diarrhea or bloating or something digestively just as your body adjusts to it. This happens a lot to people who change their intake of fiber specifically and you need to give your time to the body to adjust and it's not fair to sort of judge how it's going to affect your body long term just during that period of adjustment. Let your body adjust and then see what happens. So I think kind of flipping back and forth was a little hard. What I learned from this was I mean, I definitely am in support of having, you know, vegan meals thrown in here and there. It's something that I just kind of, when I make my own meals, just never really think about doing. I just have the way I build my meals and I'm just used to that. And after like sort of implementing those days, now I'm much more open to just when when I'm craving that, I'll just make it. And now I kind of know how how much I need to put in, in my plate now. I need to put way more fat than I think I needed to on there to feel as full because protein is what satiates me more so than fat. And I also just kind of know I'm pretty in tune with my body. I can tell what it needs. And sometimes I just feel like I just want a big bowl of vegetables with a crap ton of fat on it with a ton of tahini and avocado. So that's what I was that's what I'll do sometimes, but I generally, I just generally feel better having animal protein in my diet and it keeps me more satiated. And I definitely noticed that, I mean, this is common for anybody. If you eat, if you eat less at one meal, then it's more common for you to want to eat more at a later meal. Your body's trying to compensate. So I definitely would be hungrier later on and just need to account for that. This is often why people who switch over to more of a plant day, plant-based diet will without even meaning to half the time cut their calories just like they just tend to eat less food because they're not adding on enough to compensate for the animal products that they've removed from their diets in terms of calories so that can be a problem and I definitely am not interested in lowering my caloric intake because I like to keep my metabolism up and revving. And I like to eat as much food as I, I can. <laughs> keeping my metabolism nice and strong. So that's just me. So it's definitely an interesting experiment. And I'm, I guess it was really, it's a really good learning curve for me. So I, I now know basically how much food I need to feel satiated. The first few days I did it, I was kind of all over the mark. Like the first day I some meals I was eat put way too much on my plate and I felt kind of sick after and then the next meal I didn't put enough so once I kind of figured out the right balance I was in much better shape and I kind of know what to do and now I'll throw in more vegan meals here and there and it's a lot of fun I'm all about you know I don't think you need animal protein at every single meal but I do think it's really important to be consuming enough protein in your diet. So, I mean, anyone who knows me knows I love me a good vegan meal, but it's it is de- it's definitely harder to get enough energy, 
you know, you got to go out of your way to add enough fat, especially if you're eating high fat, low carb like me. It's much easier if you eat a lot, of, a lot more carbohydrates because that can sort of fill you up and give you more energy. So that's just my take. Obviously, you know, being a paleo vegan is harder than not being paleo. I don't personally consume grains and legumes. So if you do consume grains and legumes, you could do some sprouted grains and legumes soaked and sprouted and include those. And those could be some, add some more protein into your diet as well. For me, I definitely was leaning heavily on things like hemp seeds and pumpkin seeds because those have a higher protein content and I generally do better with nuts with seeds sorry than nuts nuts tend to have more carbohydrates but hemp seeds and pumpkin seeds were great and like I mentioned I just love any any reason to pour tahini on things and pumpkin seed butter delicious so that's sort of my update with that if I, I think that if I did that long term, I would be starving. I'm just going to put that out there. The next question is related to hunger. So somebody asked, do you believe that hunger signals can be other things than that grumble in your stomach? Sometimes I feel as though I'm out of touch with mine. I don't know if a dip in energy means I need sleep, coffee, or I need to eat more. Yes. Yes, hunger signals are definitely things other than just a grumble in your stomach. This is something that people get into a lot of trouble with because they think that the only sign of hunger is that their stomach is growling and that is not true and this is why a lot of people accidentally under eat and get into big problems so this does take getting in tune with your body and a lot of times you in order to get there you have to make sure you're eating enough food for a while to be able to get your hunger signals back on track and after you've been eating enough for a while, then you have a better sense of when you're hungry, when you're full. So for me, it's kind of like when I just feel off. And this can this can be a variety of contexts. So it's not just my stomach is growling. Sometimes it's that I have a headache. Sometimes it's that I'm getting moody. Sometimes it's kind of a brain fog. Sometimes it's kind of dizziness, I suppose. But some signs that you're hungry are, number one, if you are thinking about food all the time, you're probably hungry. This is a big one. So, I mean, the when I was basically accidentally starving myself for a while, under eating without really realizing I was, I was just thinking about food all the time. I was obsessed with looking up recipes. I was always thinking about my next meal. I was looking at restaurant menus all the time. I was just looking at Instagram pictures of food all the time. And I was, I was just hungry. I was always ready for my next meal always thinking about food, I was hungry, even though my stomach was not growling because basically I had taught my body to be used to not getting enough food. So it wasn't sending me those signals. So that was one. Another one can be feeling really cold. So diets that are too low in calories or even too low in carbohydrates can cause our body temperatures to drop and can make you feel cold. So if you're somebody who feels cold all the time, this might be a sign that you're not eating enough. 
not always, but it's a possibility. It all, I mean, this also has to do with your thyroid as well, but also feeling really tired, you know, food gives us energy. So if you're not giving your body enough energy, you're going to feel tired. I know that when my brain and my body feel like they're just really slowed down and it's not even, you know, I haven't been doing anything crazy. I don't really have any reason to feel tired mentally or physically. Sometimes that means I'm hungry. Another one is waking up in the middle of the night, which I talk about all the time, is not a a good thing. That means something is off. So there can be a number of reasons to wake up in the middle of the night. And if your cortisol is spiking, this could be from under eating during the day. Maybe you just need overall more calories. While we're speaking about waking up in the middle of the night and that cortisol spike, sometimes we just wake up in the middle of the night because we're breathing with our mouths open. You knew I was going here because I want to talk about the podcast sponsor Somnifix because I'm obsessed with them. And this has changed my sleep totally. I think it's important to figure out why I wake up in the middle of the night because if you're not eating enough, you want to know. And if there's some other underlying infection going on with your body, you want to know. And so when I started using my Somnifix mouth tape, I discovered I was waking up just basically just because I was breathing with my mouth open and I was spiking my cortisol and causing me to wake up. So I recently wrote a blog post all about Somnifix and that the health benefits of mouth taping, which are, I mean, there are so many. This affects our immunity. It affects our oral health. It affects our digestive systems. Even it can affect our athletic performance, our stamina and focus and concentration during the day. So breathing through your nose is very optimal. And that's why I love my Somnifix mouth tape so much. It's hypoallergenic. You put it over your mouth and there's a vent in the front so you can breathe a little bit through it versus just plain other tape. Doesn't have that mouth vent there and it does not hurt when you remove it. And if you don't like it, you could just open your mouth and it pops right off. So just getting your body acclimated to that can help a lot. And I love my Somnifix mouth tape, and I know a lot of you guys have said this has totally transformed your sleep, so that's amazing, and if you want to try your Somnifix, you can use the code CRWSLEEP for 15% off. You can buy it on Amazon or Somnifix.com. We'll link you right to Amazon. You can buy it there, so mouth taping, amazing. Check out my blog post on my website all about the benefits. And if there's someone in your life who you're trying to convince to mouth tape, especially if they snore or drool or have bad breath, just send them my blog post and you don't even have to say anything else. Um, Some other signs of being hungry are feeling moody. So maybe you feel like you're snapping at someone. You might feel anxious or depressed, even sad. That can also be a sign of hunger. So pay attention to your mood, dips in mood, dips in energy. Um, sometimes even if your heart is racing, you notice that in your body, that can be an indication just in general. I mean, I'm just going to say this because I know a lot of the people listening to this are women. And like, if you have thyroid problems or adrenal problems or, period problems, you might need to eat more food. Just going to throw that out there. Also pay attention to how your workouts are going and how your body is feeling. If I'm really sore, oftentimes that tells me I needed to eat more food. 
my body needs that food to repair and build and grow, make some gains, you know? So those are all signs. So yes, it doesn't have to be your stomach growling. Very rarely does my stomach growl, especially if you eat a diet that is high fat and lower in carbohydrates. You don't really get hungry in between meals. So when you're getting enough, you don't really get hungry in between meals, but then you just kind of know that you're hungry and it's not a growling in your stomach. It's more of just for me, it's kind of just like all of a sudden I might just think about food or I notice this change in my energy or my brain is functioning differently. I just kind of know it's not really a growling sense of hunger. So those are some telltale signs. While we're talking about hunger, there's something that I've actually been wanting to talk about and I haven't known if I wanted to put it in a podcast or a blog post, but I feel like right now might be the perfect time that I'll just throw this tidbit in here for anyone who's listening. So there are a few things that I recall vividly from college, from my studies. Most of it was just very random, but One of the few things that did stick with me is one of my favorite studies of all time. I know, bold statement, but I'm making it. The Minnesota Starvation Experiment. And this is something that I think is not talked about often enough. It's one of those studies similar to the Stanford Prison Experiment you know, done a long time ago. And I feel like a lot of people talk about the Stanford prison experiment where they, if you're not familiar with that one, basically they had men act as guards in a prison and act as prisoners in a prison. They just assigned them these roles and were observing the men and how they took on these roles. And that was pretty profound, but this is separate. So the Minnesota starvation experiment, let me just tell you about this. Because it gives us, I think, a really interesting look into diet culture now and what happens when we undereat for periods of time. So this was done at the University of Minnesota, hence Minnesota Starvation Experiment. And it was done in the 40s as a way to sort of figure out what might happen as men returned home from war. After they had spent periods of time, you know, at war, probably not eating enough food, not getting nourished, it's tough out there. So they're basically trying to figure out what the effects were of semi-starvation, psychologically and physically. And this study would not be allowed to happen nowadays, but it was allowed to happen back in the 40s. So basically the way it worked was they had 36 men who volunteered for this and they went through a control phase where they were fed 3,200 calories a day for 12 weeks. And then after that, they cut their calories about in half and they started this semi-starvation period. So these men were fed 1,600 calories a day. So let's think about that for a second. 1,600 calories a day considered semi-starvation diet. I know there's a lot of people out there who follow programs that are putting you on 1,200 calories a day or 1,600 calories a day. I think to some people might seem high. 
It's not. Just putting that out there. So they start this starvation period and basically it was really interesting what happened. So first of all, a lot of the men obviously had a huge reduction in their physical energy, how motivated they were. But what was interesting was their behavior and their emotional health. So they were extremely irritable kind of having angry outbursts randomly, getting in fights randomly. Some of them would experience these mood swings where they would be super happy and everything was flowers and sunshine, like almost weirdly happy. And then all of a sudden they would fall into a rage or get really upset. So they were having some really intense mood swings, super irrational. But they also had really weird eating habits. So they became really obsessed with food. They would coddle their food and just like look at it really lovingly and they would lick their plates and play with their food and, you know, hold it in their mouths for a really long time. They would think about it all the time and some of them became obsessed with looking up recipes and they said that they were dreaming about food during the day and the night and they started developing a lot of diet behaviors that we see nowadays like trying to fill themselves up on a ton of water and just chewing packs and packs of gum and it also affected their social lives so they just kind of wanted to be alone the things that used to bring them joy, didn't really anymore, so they wouldn't laugh at movies. They just kind of had numbed emotions. They didn't want to hang out with other people. They just felt really dull and lifeless. So all of those patterns developed, and then the starvation period ended, and they went into a rehab period, and Physically, they got better slowly over time. So they they had lost weight during that time, obviously, after eating so few calories. And they started to put on the weight, but the psychological effects continued. And they said it took about three months for their moods to stabilize and for their social behavior to return to normal. But in terms of the eating habits, that took much, much longer to recover from. Some some said that they were never the same after that. Some people even got worse at first instead of better. There was, I mean, the most notable thing that I think everybody remembers when they learn about this study is that one man actually amputated three of his fingers. He chopped them off with an axe and he later said he didn't know if it was accidental or not. He just felt so out of control, which is really sad and interesting and you know the men kept coddling their food licking their plates so this continued later on things started started to improve but a lot of the men continued to have extreme binging behaviors for a long time after and many of them reported that they kind of lost all of their hunger signals so they couldn't really tell what was true hunger and what was just this prolonged feeling of needing being hungry that wasn't a a real appetite but rather just this internal hunger after this period of being starved and this was only for six months 
And I just think that this is a really powerful study in showing some of the effects of not eating enough food and how much this really does impact our physical, emotional, and psychological health and how these these short stints of under eating can really have incredibly long-lasting effects. And I know for me as somebody who has overcome multiple eating disorders, this gave me huge insight into things that I was struggling with after I felt like I had recovered. And I know with a lot of my clients, it helps them to understand, you know, sometimes people go through recovery and they still feel kind of crazy. They don't understand why am I still not in touch with my hunger signals? Why do I still have, you know, these emotions? Or even during, uh, maybe during the time they're going through it, they don't understand why this is affecting their relationships. You know, why is it going beyond food? Or why am I thinking about food all the time? You know, this provides us some insight into that and I just think it's a super fascinating study and it isn't really talked about that often I learned about it in my health psychology class so that's where that came up and I remember everybody's the I mean my class is filled with other young women and everybody was looking around freaking out because they're thinking 1600 calories is a starvation diet I'm trying to only eat, you know, they're only trying to eat 1,200 calories a day or some ridiculous number. We need enough food. And I mean, granted, this is a different time, different population, but it's certainly interesting. And if you're interested in health psychology or the psychology of eating, I think that's a really fascinating study to look into. And I just wanted to teach you about that if you didn't already know about it. All right, kind of related. Gabriella asked, well, she said, I would love for you to talk more about amenorrhea. I've always had an irregular period. Then I was diagnosed with anorexia and it went away completely. I've been fully weight restored for over a year now and I still haven't gotten it back. I'm a collegiate athlete, so the intense exercise is probably contributing to the amenorrhea. Do you have any tips to get it back? Unfortunately, slowing down my exercise routine is not an option. I feel like I talk about amenorrhea a lot, but it is so incredibly prevalent. And I have a few, th- a few things to say about this. So the thing with amenorrhea, let's just pull back the layers. At the root of this, your body is stressed out. So stressed out that it doesn't feel safe enough to have a period because it doesn't feel safe enough for you to be able to support a child, whether or not that means you actually want to get pregnant and have a baby. It doesn't matter, but your body should feel safe enough to have a period. That is the ultimate sign of health as a female. So the fact that you don't have your period means that your body is still too stressed out, too afraid to let you have that opportunity. And so you are diagnosed with anorexia, it went away, and you've been fully weight restored for over a year now. I hear this often from women. They say that they're recovered and their weight has been restored and they still don't get a period. The I'm just, okay, with this question, I'm just going to tell it to you straight. You got to hear the truth. Sometimes restoring your weight isn't good enough. Just because you've restored your weight doesn't mean, okay, we're good to go. 
oftentimes if you have a history of being underweight, you have to a lot of times put on more weight than you had before. So uh, I know a lot of women have this sort of weight that they think they're going to reach and then everything is going to start working again. It doesn't work like that. Your body still obviously isn't getting what it needs to know that it's safe. And maybe it's not the weight. Maybe it's something else. But I would like to just present that as an option to you, something to think about. Because for a lot of women, we often have to gain more than we think, more than we started off weighing to restore that period and to make our body feel safe. So sometimes you have to sort of overcompensate. And that doesn't mean that you have to gain extra weight and then keep that extra weight on forever. I don't know. Maybe your body does need that extra weight. Maybe you are aiming for a weight that isn't even healthy for your body, but your body is going to tell you what weight is healthy for it. It, you, you, sorry, you can't just pick an, a number and that be it, that be it. So you have to listen to your body. And sometimes we need to put on more weight than we think. And then sometimes once we put on that extra weight and our period comes back, then our bodies even out again. And then we lose that extra weight. Sometimes our bodies just want to know I I'm safe. I need to go above and beyond to show my body that I'm safe. So that's one thing. This is the thing. So you're a collegiate athlete and the intense exercise, yeah, it's contributing to amenorrhea. With amenorrhea, it's about attacking every single stressor in your life. So this means physical and it means emotional. It means psychological. So, I mean, on the physical side, being a college athlete is a big stressor. I, I don't know that if you continue at the level you're at, that you'll be able to restore it. You might be able to. You definitely might be able to. I don't know, but there is a chance, depending on what you're doing, I don't know what your training regimen is like or what your sport is. If there's any way that you can cut back, I would focus more on resist any resistance training you're doing versus, I mean, I don't know what your sport is, so it's hard, but you know, any type of chronic cardio, I would try and stay far away from. I know you don't have many options here, but you have to just do the best you can in your circumstances. So if you can't, you know, obviously you can't stop exercising because you're a college athlete. Although that's another mindset thing. I mean, you are choosing to be a college athlete and this is sort of you know, the price that we have to pay with some of our extracurriculars or professions. So it's like professional athletes, they work their butts off and they kill it at their at their sport. That doesn't mean that they are healthy though, but that's oftentimes trade-off. So, you know, a lot of these female athletes we see don't have their periods and they sort of do give up that fertility in order to be able to advance in their sport. And that's not true of that's not true of everybody at all. But sometimes it is, or sometimes, you know, it might seem like everything's going great for now, but it shows up years later when their joints and their bones are weak. Um, the, their bodies pay it back. Sometimes they have the weight gain later on. It can affect their hunger signals later on. It can affect their fertility later on too. So it is sort of the trade-off. Um you know, 
sometimes what we enjoy doing doesn't align completely with what is optimal for our health. So that's just something to keep in mind as well. But that being said, so you're a college athlete, what can you do in this circumstance? So let's just figure out what we can do to make the best out of our situation, which would be if you can't do anything to just ease off any of your exercising, I would do that for sure. And I would take a huge step back in every other aspect of my life. So make a list of every stressor in your life and try and address that. So cut out any relationships that are stressing you out. Is school stressing you out? Can you take an easier workload? Can you do less at college and still get the same grades? This was my issue. I was doing way too much to, you know, I could have done way less and gotten just as good of grades. So over, don't overstress yourself in that aspect. Are you somebody who's trying to work three jobs and get straight A's and be a college athlete? That's a lot going on. Make sure you're getting enough sleep. You need to be getting enough sleep every night and eat a ton of food. Eat a ton of food. I mean, with amenorrhea, we got to do everything we can to reduce our cortisol in general. So it means, it usually means lifestyle changes for women. So you have to learn to just kind of de stress, go with the flow more, relax, take time every day for just yourself. I mean, this is basically, think of it as a prescription for your health. I have to take 30 minutes a day just to be me by myself. You know, just relax, just breathe, meditate, calm down. These are going to be huge for de-stressing you. In addition to that, it, I mean, I mean, the classic advice, you know, you got to eat more and work out less. We got to fuel your body. Make sure you're getting all of your macronutrients, plenty of them. Don't go hungry. Eat enough food, especially as an athlete. You, you need to be fueling yourself. So I would just take a step back in all of the other aspects of your life. Think about things that aren't so obvious, like your relationships and your commitments and how stressful those are. And make sure you're getting enough sleep and make sure you are eating enough food. Just eat, eat, eat. And, you know, you might need to put on more weight. So that is what I would suggest. I also suggest just, you know, doing all the, all the things to balance your hormones, which I talked about in another episode and I also if you are interested in joining the program have the whole module about that get a lot of sleep try and get nine hours you know use some essential oils to regulate those hormones get rid of endocrine disruptors in your environment all of the things Caitlin asked can you talk some more about what you eat for breakfast I feel like I'm eating well for lunch and dinner but I really struggle with what to eat in the morning I also exercise in the morning so I feel that I need a fairly large and nutritious breakfast so I can make it to lunch I often find myself hungry and reaching for unhealthy snacks around 10 a.m okay Caitlin I mean I think you hit you hit the nail on the head. If you're hungry and reaching for unhealthy snacks around 10 a.m., you definitely need a bigger breakfast. So the best advice I give everybody is to stop thinking of certain foods as breakfast foods or lunch foods or dinner foods. Food is just food. You eat it when you want. So my breakfasts are the same as my lunches and my dinners. I approach them the same 
the same way. I think it's really important to start your day off with protein and fat. Make sure you're getting enough protein and fat. If you're working out in the morning, even more because you need to replenish your glycogen stores, refuel your body. Your body's probably hungry. I think that breakfast is an incredibly important meal because it really sets people up for the rest of their day. So people who start their day off with a breakfast that's high in protein and fat are shown to not eat as much later on and tend to lose weight in the long run because their appetite and energy is so regulated and balanced throughout the rest of the day that they are just set up. So I mean, for breakfast, I literally have veggies, meat, some fat. So I mean, a lot of times for me, my go-tos, I just have whatever protein I had the night before, I reheat it up. I will either saute up some veggies, so I like to do greens, bok choy, what do I like, Swiss chard, I like to add in something like zucchini or asparagus, I love my bamboo shoots and mushrooms, sometimes I just, you know, add in whatever I can, saute it up and add half an avocado, some coconut oil or ghee, and that's kind of how I do it. I will eat salmon or I will eat chicken or I will eat, I don't know, lamb or beef, whatever I have left over. Dinner food is breakfast food to me, so it's fine. It's all the same. Or I will have just, you know, leftover veggies from the night before. That is sort of my key thing. I think that people really need to make sure they up their protein and fat. That's what I would suggest to you for first thing in the morning. Your breakfast should last you until lunch. If it doesn't, if it isn't lasting you until lunch, you are not eating enough. So add on more protein and more fat. Um, if you are eating eggs, a really common mistake I see people eating is not eating enough eggs. So eggs don't have that much protein. They have, I think, six grams per egg. You know, at minimum, you should be eating three eggs. I usually I usually suggest to people eat three eggs with half an avocado or three eggs with some meat and half an avocado. You know, this thing I'm seeing of people eating one or two eggs and they think that's enough for breakfast is absolutely absurd. That's not enough food. That's a snack. So add more, focus on the protein and the fat, add a bigger piece of meat. And I suggest not thinking of certain foods as breakfast foods, lunch foods, or dinner foods. It is freeing. Let me tell you that. So that's my my suggestion. And if that is weird to you at first, try something really filling and nourishing like my paleo oatmeal on my blog with cauliflower. I have two different versions, something like that. But definitely make sure that you fill up on all of your nutrients in the morning. Don't be afraid of eating a lot in the morning because guess what? If you eat, this is the thing, if you eat too much in the morning and you're not hungry later on, then you can just eat less later on and it evens out versus if you eat too little in the morning and then you kind of are under eating the whole day and then at dinner you just tend to gorge and that's doing no one any favors. So that's my suggestion over there. Just stop thinking of breakfast foods as breakfast foods. Go for some meat, some eggs, some bacon, some veggies, all the greens. 
Next up, we have a question from Jordan. Do you still have any disordered thoughts around food and or exercise? If so, how do you deal with them? I feel like since I've had an eating disorder for so long that these thoughts will always be in my head, whether they're at the forefront or somewhere deep in the vault. Also, do you have any advice for reprogramming your associations with certain foods? I've created some healthy associations with food in my long road to recovery. I'm so far from where I started, but definitely have more to go. But I feel like there's always a battle between the healthy and unhealthy healthy associations for example a few years ago i didn't want to eat sugary processed foods because i was afraid they'd make me gain weight now i don't want to eat those foods because i'm aware of the negative effects they have on my health mood and i just don't feel good after eating them but nevertheless it seems like my default is still fear of gaining weight hopefully this makes sense i always have such a hard time putting these kinds of thoughts into written form it makes total sense and i think it's a great question so thank you for asking it so First of all, just want to say congratulations on recovery and how far you've come in your health journey. I know it's not an easy journey at all. So to answer this question, I mean, I think that living in today's world and being part of today's society, I mean, we can't completely avoid the rest of society forever. You know, we got to we got to live in this world and Also, when you've had an eating disorder, that is kind of, I mean, it's a part of you. It doesn't define you, but it is a part of you. And we, those of us who have had them are, you know, had them because we have certain personality traits that probably haven't just gone away forever. So, you know, it is something I think that I, I've written a post about this where I, I don't think that somebody can ever be just I think how do I wear this recovery is always a process always a long-term process so yeah you can be recovered but at the end of the day to me recovery doesn't ever fully end because for me to stay quote recovered I have to make sure that I'm doing what I need to do to stay in that state you know it's like if somebody is an alcoholic and they've been sober for 10 years they have to make sure I mean some people can go back to drinking I suppose but let's say that that alcoholic you know to stay sober they they have to continue to stay sober maybe that means continuing to avoid bars or stop hanging out with people who also like to drink you know so they're still, they're sober and they're recovered, but they're doing what they need to do to stay that way, if that makes sense. And it's the same thing with eating disorder recovery, in my opinion. So for me, I know what would trigger me and I stay away from it. Or if I think that something might, I will avoid it. I won't do it. So, I mean, when it comes to food, I think that recovery from my orthorexia for me required eating things that I was afraid of and I have proven to myself that you know I'm not gonna gain 40 pounds and roll over and die if I eat these foods I'm gonna be fine and I haven't been in a place where I fear a food in in that way in in a very long time thankfully and I think that the description that you gave about your different associations with food is really important to notice because there's a difference between avoiding a food because you're afraid of it because 
you know, it's impure and it's going to make you gain weight. And there's just this deeper negative emotion behind it versus, okay, here's a food that doesn't help my health and makes me not feel good. And I'm going to avoid it for that reason, if that makes sense. So I'll give you an example of a food that used to scare me. I was genuinely afraid of sugar. Now I don't eat sugar, but I don't eat it. It comes from a very different place and I'm not also not afraid of it. So I mean, anyone who knows me, any of my friends knows if I want sugar, it's usually because it's a special occasion or something and I want something and I'm not scared of it. You know, I'll just go eat it. But I know so much about the effects on my health and what it does to me that I have no interest in harming my health. So I choose not to eat that on a regular basis. And just because you don't want to eat something doesn't mean that you're afraid of it. Does that make sense? There are plenty of people out there who don't eat gluten or dairy or sugar or whatever it is because they know the harmful negative effects on their health. And, you know, that doesn't automatically mean that they have an eating disorder whatsoever. But where the difference lies is if you are avoiding something because you're afraid of it and it's coming from a place of self-hate and self-consciousness more than anything else, more than this really just isn't good for my health or this does X, Y, or Z to me. It gives me brain fog. It gives me a headache. It makes my stomach hurt. You know, those are two very, very different things. And sometimes I will just mentally test myself. And this, this is what I did a lot in recovery when I was trying to figure out the line between, okay, I'm avoiding these foods. Why am I avoiding it? Because that for me was what was really important for me to figure out. And I would ask myself every time I avoided a food and I still do to this day to some extent, but not as much as because I'm, I mean, I'm so kind of past that. I, I know I understand myself and my body very well and I honestly don't really get triggered by by food things as much as exercise, which I'll get to in a moment. But with the food is I would ask myself every single thing I, I said, no, I didn't want to eat. Why am I saying no? You know, when it's gluten. Okay, because I get a rash all over my body. I get intense brain fog. I get extreme depression. My stomach kills me. I don't have bowel movements for weeks. I hate the way it makes me feel and I know the effects it has on brain health and I don't believe it's a helpful food for anyone. You know, sugar, same reasons, dairy, same, like I would go through the reasons why I'm avoiding it. Then I got to foods at the time that I was just avoiding like, I don't know, blueberries, why am I avoiding this? And I had to be very honest and blunt with myself and said, okay, if I'm being honest, I'm, I'm avoiding this fruit because this deep voice inside my head is telling me that it might make me gain weight and I'm afraid of that and I'm afraid of what it's going to do to my body and it's giving me an anxiety attack to think about the fact that it might give me stomach pains and I just would rather do anything but eat this piece of fruit. Even if there's nothing left on the earth, I would not eat this piece of fruit. I'm so freaked out by it. That was a very different response. And when I realized it was coming from those different reasons, what I did was I ate the fruit to prove to myself I was going to be fine. So 
then it sort of taught me, okay, it's a, it's all right. It was, it's kind of, it reminds me of like when you're little and you're afraid to go swimming and you kind of had to have to jump in and prove to yourself that you can, you can learn to swim and you can do it and you can survive. And then that doesn't mean that you constantly have to live in the water for the rest of your life, but now, you know, you're going to be okay, you know? So testing yourself like that, there's this difference in emotions that you feel. It's different when you are actually afraid of a food and it's very anxiety provoking versus you just don't want to eat it. There's something internal that's very different. You know, when I was afraid of the sugar, I'd get so anxious and all these thoughts would come in my head like this is going to happen to me X, Y, and Z versus now if there is something with sugar in it, I don't want it. It's not coming from a place of I'm getting so anxious about it and the thought of me having to eat it right now is just giving me all this anxiety and I'm getting worked up. It's not like that. It's just like, I just don't want it. No, thank you. A no thank you versus a I need to run away is the difference. I also definitely have totally changed who I follow and the the media I consume and I mean the things I do and the people I surround myself with who are ever feeding into that behavior tying into that behavior so pay attention to who you're following on social media what you're reading and how it's making you feel and if it's making you compare or giving giving you ideas that are making you afraid of certain foods versus just educated and informed why you may or may not want to avoid them then, you know, if something is making you afraid or making you compare, cut that out of your life. You don't need it. You don't need that. You should only be focusing on content that makes you feel good and empowered in your life, not afraid and comparing and not good. So I think for me, just what I would just learn to be really honest about my reasons for avoiding certain things and then things that I thought were, you know, maybe that voice inside my head was coming from not the best place and it was coming from a disordered eating habit I would eat it prove it to myself I'd be fine you know or sometimes I wouldn't be fine sometimes I felt like crap the next day and then I knew okay I don't eat that because it does not make me feel good you know but you have to be totally honest with yourself I am more so worried about myself getting triggered with exercise honestly which is a big reason why I don't go to the gym well it's one of many reasons but I prefer to work out at home every day I think that going to a gym for me being around that makes me start to get competitive and look at other people and worry about what other people are doing and compare myself to other people and that's why I like to work out alone and do my own thing I used to read a lot of fitness blogs and follow a lot of fitness bloggers. I unfollowed a lot of them. A lot of the people who I used to follow religiously and always be worried about what their workouts were and what they were doing, I just don't really pay attention to anymore. That for me was causing a lot of comparisons and I've come to realize, you know, recently, I tend to err on the side of caution more than anything else and I mean, I, I know that I'm much, I'm much stronger. Like I don't really get triggered anymore, honestly. And I know that, um, but I always just 
would rather play it safer than toy with it. Those are kind of things that just help me recover and I'm just kind of stuck with them. And I'm definitely at a place where I feel really good and confident or, but sometimes it's, I mean, sometimes I'll read something that I didn't mean to read or I'll see a picture and I'll, I'll notice that it doesn't make me feel good about myself or maybe it makes me, it triggers a thought, but it's not about what the thought is. It's about what your reaction is. And so it's my reaction to what I read or read or saw to, you know, go work out an extra hour at the gym is my response to, you know, cut out a food group tomorrow because I saw that? No, my response is to say, okay, I had that thought. It's okay. I had that thought. I'm going to accept I had that thought, but this is why this thought is not going to serve me. And that's why I should not do X, Y, or Z in response to that. And this is why maybe I don't want to follow that person. And logically, this doesn't make sense because X, Y, or Z. For me, going back to the logic always helps me a lot. I think that reading data, learning things about overtraining or learning, for example, like that Minnesota starvation experiment, learning about what happens when you undereat. Or, you know, for me, personal experience, I had a lot of personal experience with what happened when I was on a restricted diet for too long in multiple contexts. I mean, from being on gut healing protocols and following them too strictly that didn't that didn't help me being too strict with it and also just always thinking about okay how is this affecting my cortisol right now honestly because as i said many times balancing your cortisol is the key to everything it always comes back to stress stress is the biggest killer and if doing something is causing me more stress that is not what i should be doing that is the opposite of what I should be doing. So coming back to that. But I think really being aware of who you're surrounding yourself with is really important. I'm not kidding you when I I tell you I have had friends who are really into their workouts or kind of showing disordered eating habits. And I am just not willing to risk my own mental or physical health because I don't want to hurt someone's feelings. And I will basically just stop being their friend whether that means you know if something comes up I'll be straight up with them you know I've had friends where I say okay you know what your disordered habits I don't think are serving you and it is hard for me to be around and I don't want to fall back into old patterns of orthorexia or overtraining and for this reason I need to step away from this relationship because it's not serving me and I really, you know, whether that means you say that you hope that they get help for themselves or not, it doesn't matter. Just worry about yourself and do what you need to do. And I think that also just having support. So having someone you can talk to about all this, there's nothing better than having someone that you can turn to and just, you know, say you have a thought that gets triggered that you can call or text or even if this means this is why I'm a huge fan of journaling write it out to yourself just be like hey I just had this thought this is how I was feeling and I'm just acknowledging it and it happened and I know that that was not healthy for me and that this thought is not coming from a good place and I just want to acknowledge it so thanks for listening and now that I've acknowledged it I can step away from it and do something else So I think that that's really, really helpful. Just acknowledging it, having somebody else to talk to, distract you, 
also, you know, finding other passions besides just food and working out can help a lot. Have other things to focus on. Learn. There's so much in this world to learn. And, you know, it can be reading a fiction book. It can be reading a nonfiction book. It can be watching a movie. It can be learning a new skill or habit or you know, there's this whole world of spirituality that's really interesting. You can learn about religions. You can learn about, I don't know, there are so many things to to learn. So those are sort of my suggestions. Just be really concrete and honest, real with yourself. Give yourself real reasons why you are or aren't eating the things you are eating or why, why you're avoiding what you're avoiding and go from there and if you have the support of a health coach or a therapist or a psychiatrist I think that can be extremely extremely beneficial for me I know when I was going through this my therapist my nutritionist were my rock and really helped me because I could just be like hey you know this this triggered me this made me feel this way. This made me think about adding in an extra workout or eating less that day. And I just want to tell you because you can help me hold me accountable. So I think that those are sort of my best tips. Okay, there are a few other really great questions, but they have answers that I want to spend more than like two minutes on. So I'm going to end with an easy one. What is a typical day in the life of Christina Rice? I'm guessing there's no such thing, but on average, what does your day look like? And what are your top cities you'd recommend visiting? All right, you guys, my life is not that exciting. I'll give you a general idea. So I wake up, I oil pull, I throw on some hot water to make my morning apple cider vinegar and hot water drink. I... After after that scenario, I rebound for a few minutes to get my lymphatic drainage going. I roll out my yoga mat and then I get all my sups together, my pills, and I start working. I go onto my, my computer and I, I start working. So every day I have a to-do list. I have it organized by sort of my outside projects. I have what I need to do for my NTA program while I'm doing that right now, for so for school, and then I have what I need to do for my podcasts and my blog, and that's sort of what I consider my outside, my outside stuff. And then I have what, you know, what I need to do for clients that week, and that's what I check my schedule for, as well as calls for, you know, the girls on my doTERRA team, my beauty counter team. Those are sort of the calls I deal with or, or, you know, if I have anything with companies. So basically any type of call is what I'm what I'm planning on doing for, quote, work hours during the day. So I'm sort of getting myself together in the morning and I'll usually, if I have anything I need to prep, like if I need to prep for a podcast, I'll do that. But first thing in the morning, I will typically just start working on some of that outside stuff. So whether that's school or blog or podcast or beauty counter or doTERRA, that's what I do. And then I will usually check emails for a bit. I, if I'm working out, that's when I work out. After I work out, I shower, 
I get dressed, I eat breakfast, and then I start with all my calls. And then I just kind of have a day of whether that's coaching calls with clients or podcasts or, you know, business calls with companies or brands or, you know, I do business coaching with women or if I'm like I said, talking to the women on my beauty counter team or doTERRA team or doTERRA oil calls, whatever that is, it's sort of during the working day. And I like to break it up. You know, I'll have, you know, 10 to 15 minutes in between people. So I'll try and take a walk. I'll get some steps in where I can since I just work at home for my standing desk. I take a lunch break. Um, yeah. And then I just kind of work until the evening and then once calls of that nature are done, once all of my clients are done for the day, I always take a walk at that point. You know, maybe that's around the block really quickly. Just get outside, move to break up the day and figure out what's going to what's gonna be on the agenda for that night. And at this point, I will usually do some meditation for maybe 10 to 15 minutes. Just I like it. In the evening, just because that's when it's easiest for me to fit things in. And I'm usually kind of all jumbled all over the place from a crazy day of calls and things. So there's that. And on all of these breaks, so on my walking breaks, this is when I try to multitask and I will answer comments or answer some emails. I check my emails again in the afternoon and usually once right before I kind of log out for the day. So after my like work day is done and I have my, my mini break right then, then I get started on my the rest of my quote outside work. So podcast stuff, blogging, working on any ebooks coming up, wink, wink, my program stuff. So I'll check the Facebook group, answer questions. And sometimes we have calls in the evening. So that's kind of my favorite thing to do whenever I have a live call for the program. At the end of my workday, I get very excited because it gives me something to look forward to. And sometimes for school, we have calls in the afternoon or I'm also in a few other programs myself and they'll have calls so it's kind of the evening routine and breaks up the day or if I don't have any of that I will do just school work so I gotta fit in my studying my reading my lectures my projects all of that for NTA so sometimes I do that then as well I'll also always try to schedule any phone calls for my walking breaks when I can. So depending on what it is. So obviously it's like if I'm seeing a client, I'm not going to do that on my walking break. It's not a break. But if it's a quick call with a company or if it's a social phone call with a friend I want to catch up with, I will always schedule that for when I can also go on a walk so I can do two things at once and get some, you know, social interaction in via phone catch up. So after the work day ends and I get some work done, then I'll get my pajamas and I like to get my PJs early and cook dinner. And then I eat dinner and then I go back, keep working for a bit. 
and study and then I I'll turn off my phone you know a few hours before well, I don't turn it off I just put it away I don't answer it I also wear my blue blockers in the evening to help avoid some of that blue light and then basically the hour before I go to bed I do things that don't require a screen or I try to at least when I'm being good which I have been so I will usually read it's oftentimes one of my one of my school books something that I need to get done so I'm still multitasking I guess winding down but also getting work done or if I'm just really brain fried I'll read a different book just a, pl- a pleasure book although that happens like once a month I'll be honest and I will journal for a bit I always write my journal I put some lavender essential oil on my pillow. I diffuse my serenity essential oil. I slap on my somni fix, wind down, and go to bed and wake up and do it all over again. And that's kind of what an average day is like for me. You know, sometimes there are events I go to or sometimes I'll meet up with people, but, you know, meeting up with people takes a huge chunk out of my day and I work really hard and it's rare for me to sort of have free time to meet up unless I know ahead of time, but my days are very different in the context of, you know, I'm recording different podcasts, talking to different people, seeing different clients, doing different things for my my program or you know, stuff like that. So I'm always doing different things, but it's kind of always structured out like that. And I'm very regimented and routine because that's the only way I can get it all done. And I like it like that. I love everything I'm doing, but I have a lot going on. So for me, sticking with a schedule, being very organized, having a lot of different to-do lists, sticking to my calendar is all key for me to, to keep things going and stay on track and make sure I don't you know, mess up my sketch. So that's kind of what a day in my life is typically like. So yeah, nothing that crazy. I don't know. Maybe you think that's interesting. Happy to answer any more questions you might have. But there you have it. Also, regarding your question about the top cities to visit, I mean, I haven't been to every city, but my favorite cities, I think obviously Los Angeles is a great city to visit. I think New York is another fabulous city to visit, and I also love visiting San Diego. Those are my favorites, and I haven't been there yet, but I'm pretty sure Austin is going to become one of my favorites as well. A lot of fun stuff to do in Austin, too, so those are my top cities that I suggest. But again, definitely have not been everywhere in the U.S., far from it, so... That's just my biased opinion. So I think I'm going to cap it off here. I answered more questions this time than last time. So there we go. And next time, maybe I'll answer even more. So I'm going to do these more often. Keep sending in questions. You can send them into podcast at christinaricewellness.com or you can submit them in the Facebook group, Wellness Realness Podcast Tribe. If you want to make sure your question gets answered and if you want to ask me all of the questions and find out all of the things sign up for my program signups are only going to be open for this week the week of april 9th only going to be on sale 
today, the ninth. I would love to have you in the program. It is so much fun. Five weeks with me. Go to bit.ly slash paleo women lifestyle to learn more and to sign up. It's going to be amazing. So thanks again. If you joined in with me, make sure you spread the podcast, share it, tell everybody about it. And I hope they fall in love with it too. So as usual, had great time chatting with you. I hope you enjoyed this and I'll talk to you again next week. Bye.